In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You expire, Jesus, but the source of life gushed forth for souls, and the ocean of mercy opened up for the whole world. O font of life, unfathomable divine mercy, envelop the whole world and empty yourself out upon us. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us. I trust in you. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us. I trust in you. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us. I trust in you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin, Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world for the sake of his sorrowful passion have mercy on us and on the whole world for the sake of his sorrowful passion have mercy on us and on the whole world for the sake of his sorrowful passion have mercy on us and on the whole world for the sake of his sorrowful passion have mercy on us and on the whole world eternal father i offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have 
Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. And for the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. Eternal God, in whom mercy is endless, and the treasury of compassion inexhaustible, look kindly upon us and increase your mercy in us, that in difficult moments we may not despair nor become despondent, but with great confidence submit ourselves to your holy will, which is love and mercy itself. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Our Lady, Queen of Peace. Pray for us. Our Lady of Good Help. Pray for us. Our Lady of Guadalupe. Pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. Saint Faustina. Pray for us. Saint John Paul II. Pray for us. And all you angels and saints. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Noel Merring, she wrote a book called Awake, Not Woke, a Christian response to the cult of this progressive ideology that's infecting our country. Yeah, you know, one of the things I think we have to distinguish is that church is a human institution, but it's also a divine institution. The truth is also in the sacramental life of the church. Yeah. Staying close to the sacraments is how we have truth in our hearts, that through the confession, through knowing ourselves, and through growing close to Christ. But the only way that this transformation of the church and the society is going to come is through faithful Catholics living the fullness of the faith as closely as they possibly can. So while it's utterly discouraging to see corruption in the church, the church has been a target of this movement for a long time, as with the family. So there's going to be corruption, but there's also excellent, beautiful, amazing holy shepherds as well. I think we have to be warriors, but happy warriors. You know, we have to fight this fight and be courageous, but also have hope. The Drew Mariani Show. The latest news and the issues of the day through the eyes of our faith. 
2 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio. I just wanted to share that a year ago when I started listening to the Divine Mercy, I never prayed it as intensely as I have with you and prayed the Rosary with Father Rocky. Anyways, I was praying for my three adult children to come back to their faith. And I can tell you that I have two that have returned and are even reading their Bible now. Wow. And we're talking about doing a Bible study as a family together. And if you would have asked me this a year ago, I would have said, no, there, there's no way, you know. But thank you, Jesus. Two of them are back, and we're praying for the third one. And she's sounding like she's going to go back to... You know, I just love that story because that's another one of those things. You know, people with addiction and kids away from the faith, they often think that, you know, oh, those prayers are never going to be answered. My prayers aren't working. You're a Monica that has seen the fruit of your prayer, and I'm so grateful for your call. The Divine Mercy Chaplet, part of the Drew Mariani Show, 3 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Call in now at 888-914-9149 to tell Drew what you think. John Harper for Drew Mariani this afternoon, not feeling too well. We pray to Our Lady of Good Health for a speedy recovery and that he's back with you tomorrow here in this time period. You have heard us over the years on Relevant Radio talk about issues of religious freedom. And it's not something that's just out there in the ozone. It's something that affects you and me as Roman Catholic men and women. Every single day we've seen issues of religious freedom here in the United States and certainly around the world and you've heard about the Missionaries of Charity. Of course you did. That's the Order of Nuns founded by St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And they were founded in India. But they may not be able to stay in the country where they were founded. And you heard that correctly because India has a law requiring non-governmental organizations to file for a license from the government to receive funds from out of the country. And so the missionaries of charity went ahead and accommodated the government. They filed their renewal forms, but the government denied them. And you know when they denied them? At Christmas. At Christmas. And according to Catholic News Service, what that means is what the sisters of the missionaries of charity have to start doing is rationing the food they give out to the poor on the streets of the cities they serve. Now, there's some speculation that if the government doesn't let up, they won't be able to stay in their native country of India at all. And they're not alone because the Indian government, this is since 2015, and the source of this is ucanews.com, has denied licensing requests to thousands of non-governmental organizations even including the Ford Foundation. And just last year, two years ago, as a matter of fact, they told organizations that they couldn't apply for the license for another three years. So you can see the dilemma here and how Christians are being targeted for persecution in a very 
in a very specific way, especially in India. Let's unpack that and what it means to you and me and what you and I can do about that to reverse the decisions of the Indian government. And you and I do have some power. Paul Marshall is joining us. He is the Jerry and Susie Wilson Chair in Religious Freedom at the Institute for Studies of Religion at Baylor University. He's also the director of the Religious Freedom Institute's South and Southeast Asia Action Team and a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. Paul, welcome back to the Drew Mariani Show. Uh, thank you very much for having me, John. What is the significance of the Indian government making this decision on Christmas? Uh, to I think to add ins- to the expression to add insult to injury, um, you're you're doing you're cruelly undercutting a um, an organization, and you're doing it in one of the days, with the exception of Easter where it would be most hurtful. So the other expression we have is yeah, rubbing it in or rubbing salt mm-hmm. in the wound, uh, just to make it a little bit worse. And uh, behind it is a goal to drive not only Christians, but to drive Christians either out of the country or into a subservient uh, position. And there's many, many layers here, but there is... Um, an ideology uh, called Hindutva, which basically means uh, Hinduism or Hindu essence. And that's the ideology now of the principal governing party, the BJP party. And um, since it came to power again in in 2014, you've seen um, increased repression of religious minorities. I should emphasize uh, uh, that includes Christians, but it's not only Christians, it's against Muslims and others. But you've had, when you mentioned those organizations which have been forbidden to um, receive money from abroad, uh, as you mentioned, the uh, Missionaries of Charity, they're one of about 1,000 Christian organizations who are now not allowed to receive money from abroad. So that's one way of just slowly squeezing Christian organizations. Another one is um, throughout much of India, you now have uh, anti-conversion laws in almost half the states in the country. And on paper, they might look okay, you know, because they say it's against forced conversion. Well, you know, no Christian should be in favor of, of a forced conversion, even if that were possible. But that's defined so broadly. You know, if, it says if you offer an enticement, like um, if you become a Christian, God will forgive your sins. Well, that, they treat that as a bribe. It's, it's offering an enticement. And so for forced conversion, you can be con- sent to prison for 10 years. Wow. There, there was one, yeah, there was one case, this is now an older one, but it's um, uh, 20, 20 years old, but it's so striking that uh, two nuns were convicted of the forced conversion of 84 people at one time. You know, not, and I, I was just trying to imagine exactly, yeah, I'd love to meet these nuns. I don't believe for a word they did it, but you think, how on earth do they think two nuns can forcibly convert 84 people 84 at once? Right. So uh, that's another form of pressure. And then just increased violence. Uh, 2021 was the most um, 
was the worst year for violence against Christian communities um, ever in India or in, in the modern age. So, so across the board, things are getting much worse. Well, we just saw someone who recently scaled a wall around a Catholic church and smashed a statue of the Sacred Heart. And, uh, you know, will, will yep. they be persecuted? Probably not. No, the, that's the other thing. You get these attacks uh, in, in one state, uh, Haryana. I mean, at least 10 churches were attacked. Again, on Christmas Day, you do it you know, on that particular holy day. The same thing with announcing to the missionaries of charity, you, you won't be able to receive money from abroad. So there were the attacks on uh, Christmas Day are there. And um, in the vast majority of cases, there is no punishment. The local authorities, the local police uh, may be complicit. That is, they share the same ideology. Um, they have a um, dislike, even a hatred of Christians. Well, sometimes they may not personally do it, but if you've got an angry mob, the police just decide to stay out of it, you know, because mm. they might get hurt themselves. So most of this goes on with impunity. And, uh, yep. We're talking about issues of religious freedom, of course, that we see here in the United States, but specifically in India, where the Missionaries of Charity was founded, the Order of Nuns founded by St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, with the Indian government now saying that they cannot accept money from outside of the country, which will affect how they serve the poor in that country as well. As Catholics here in the United States, uh, Paul Marshall, from your viewpoint at Baylor University, if we phone with clarity and charity the Indian consulate in New York City and Washington, D.C., if we write and explain, uh, you know, who we are as Roman Catholics and our support for the sisters, what what kind of impact will that have with going all the way down the chain to the Modi government in India? Um, I think it will have some effect. Uh, to write to members of Congress, to write to the uh, Indian Embassy, uh, to write to the State Department, but uh, two institutions, the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, that's a, a gov- government body, a very good one, uh, whose job it is to monitor religious freedom around the world and to make recommendations to the State Department about um, uh, you know, perhaps putting sanctions on some of these countries, and then write to the Secretary of State himself. And in an area like this, the, um, it's a fairly small thing. I mean, if there was a, if you're looking at a major change like um, China's prison camps, mm-hmm. letter writing uh, in the short term might not do much, but in this case, where it's a case of foreign funding, you say, what is, what is wrong with an organization receiving foreign, foreign money, the majority of which doesn't go to pay them? It goes, it's passed on to the poor. It's poor Indians who are receiving this money in the end. And uh, to ask, you know, what, what is this reason and, and will they revo- reverse that? And that's important because there's a lot of pressures on members of Congress and, and on the government, there are Indian lobbies because uh, the U.S. would like uh, India to be an ally in competition with China. So, you know, geopolitically, we're more worried about China and India is big and it's next door. So we'd like to ally with them. So there are different lobbies. But to raise this particular issue 
of people being able to raise funding. I think that's somewhere we can make headway. So I would encourage all our listeners to do that. And a two-part question, Paul, and one, the first part is, is India trying to create a perfect Hindu state? And the other part of that question is, if they are, with the actions that they're taking, not only against uh, Mother Teresa's order, say Mother Teresa's order, but other non-governmental organizations, in creating that perfect Hindu state, what kind of security threat does that pose for that part of the country? And and in terms of also a relationship with the United States? Um. You know, if it, it tries to make a monopoly of Hinduism, I, I don't think it would, might necessarily want to drive every non-Hindu out. Mm-hmm. It certainly wants them to um, accept a subservient position. To, you know, the idea that you know India is, is Hindu, we may let some of you stay, but there's things you can't do. Hindus are not allowed to convert. You can't, you know, ring church bells on a Sunday or at Easter, so you you stay very, very quiet. They'd want that. Um, countries which try to impose that form of uniformity, um, usually there's an increase in violence at home, and they often tend to be aggressive abroad because they start to have so many domestic problems. So um, I think that would um, tend to make India more aggressive locally, and it would make it harder for the United States uh, to have it as an ally. It will also provide an excuse to Pakistan, um, who always regards its major threat as India and whose army is ready to mobilize against India. If it sees attacks on Hindus and, sorry, on Muslims, Muslims being driven out, um, the likelihood of war, and they've had been three wars between India and Pakistan. Right. If if Muslims are being driven out, that will raise tensions and there, there could be increased conflict there. And those are both nuclear powers. I was just uh, going to only... say, yeah, they're both nuclear powers. Now, will the United States allow India to get into that, into this degree of isolation that we're talking about, Paul? Uh, whether we can stop it, I don't know. Uh, I think we can hinder it. Because uh, it's not only the United States worried about China. Well, everybody's worried about China. But India particularly, they've had three wars as well. And they've had conflicts in the last two years where certainly hundreds, uh, perhaps thousands of soldiers have been killed uh, way up in the Himalayas. So India is very worried about China. So we have a common you know, geopolitical interest. There could be some room to translate that into uh, uh, domestic pressure say, look, it's going to be very hard for us to ally with you when um, you're repressing um, all, uh, all these minorities and becoming much more authoritarian government. So I think there is some leverage there. And especially as if, it want, if they want to make it an almost perfect Hindu state, that's a very long-term goal. So right. you could just say, well, why don't you put it off for a century or something? There's, um, the situation is open enough that it has, it has wiggle room. Um, you can delay things or you can ease off. So I, I think there's room for maneuver here. And I think the uh, U.S. government can have pressure because what's in its, in, what's in its interest is also mm-hmm. in India's interest. 
And, of course, in our interest as well to not only help the missionaries of charity, but these other non-governmental organizations in India keep this out-of-country funding coming in is for you and me to reach out to our congressional delegation and explain where we are with clarity and charity as Roman Catholics and and the absolute need, the humanitarian need, and also the need for religious freedom in India and in all parts of the world. Paul, thank you so much for the conversation. Paul Marshall is the Jerry and Susie Wilson Chair in Religious Freedom at the Institute for Studies of Religion at Baylor University. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, John. God Take bless care. You. God bless. John Harper for Drew Mariani. Later on today, NASA is now studying a religious reaction to the possibility of aliens. It's now on the radar of NASA. We'll unpack that later on today on the Drew Mariani Show here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Keeping it relevant, it's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. What you're looking for? John Harper for Drew Mariani this afternoon. If there is someone in your family who is expecting a child, of course, we pray for a very healthy birth. And if you have uh, gone through any pregnancy, you know that a part of that is getting a blood test. And part of the blood test procedure, if you're expecting a child, is to look for any kind of rare or devastating developmental conditions that may be there in the fetus. Well, how accurate are those? There's an investigation that the New York Times just did. It's something called non-invasive prenatal testing, non-invasive prenatal testing, N-I-P-T. Those are the initials. And it generally, generally, let's underline that word, works well for common disorders like Down syndrome. However, in looking at the data, and the New York Times did a deep dive into the data, there are multiple, multiple studies that showed that this N-I-P-T test which is used for uncommon diseases, is wrong. Wrong 87% of the time. Now, you know the culture that we live in here in the United States. It's a culture of abortion. So we've got a blood test that's 87% wrong, but of course being used as an excuse to abort the fetus. Let's talk about this right now with Monique Rubaru, Dr. Monique Rubaru, who's an OBGYN in Meadowbrook, Pennsylvania, trained in APRO technology, which is a method developed by Dr. Tom Hilgers of Creighton University. Dr. Monique, welcome back to the Drew Mariani Show. Thanks so much. So happy to be here. Uh, why, again, only in the United States with this culture of death would we embrace something that is wrong 87% of the time. What's wrong with this picture? It's so crazy. I mean, this testing is so common. And, you know, honestly, when patients ask me, is it okay to do this testing? I always tell them that, you know, whatever testing you want to do is fine as long as it's not invasive, but always be very wary about responding to the results. So if the purpose of getting the test is so that you are more prepared to care for your child, to, you know, get whatever resources you need or what community you need in order to be the best possible parent for your child, then it's so worthwhile. But if the purpose of the test is to determine whether or not you're going to end the life of your child, then no, there's no purpose in doing that test. As we look at these results, uh, these are positive results 
that sometimes come back as negative results as well. But in your experience, Dr. Monique, are parents going back for more tests and are they doing the investigation, the needed due diligence into the efficacy of these tests? It honestly depends on who the parent is. It depends on who the physician is and what sort of picture they're presenting to them and how that whole situation and conversation occurs. If you have a physician who comes to a parent who is, say, maybe advanced maternal age, over the age of 35, and they're told, hey, you know, you're over the age of 35 or you're in your early 40s and your risk is very, very high for these abnormalities. And now this test has proven this. And if you choose to go on with this pregnancy, you only have very little amount of time to make a different choice. And they kind of pressure them into a corner. Then that parent is more likely to succumb and just make a choice based on the fact that they like their doctor and they want to follow what their doctor is saying. And how should the doctors be educated? The doctors should all be educated about the fact that this test isn't 100%. And I think most doctors realize that. But the fact that this is now in the New York Times is a big, you know, in-your-face kind of announcement to these doctors that they really need to be careful. And I think the one thing that really changes doctors' behaviors is the fear of being sued. And so when you have something like this in a major newspaper that many people are reading, I think there's going to be a lot of kind of pushback from the patient saying, hey, you know, New York Times said that this wasn't the best test, so what else can we do? And the issue then is, you know, the next thing that they can do is offer an invasive test called an amniocentesis. But an amniocentesis comes with risks as well of, you know, harm to the baby or, you know, rupture of membranes and losing the fluid around the baby. So it's, you know, it's always a very challenging thing. And you wish that the physicians would have a more of a pro-life mentality and Mm -hmm. that they would present this in such a way that everybody would be willing to uphold the dignity of this child's life. Because we all know that any parent who, no matter what the fetal anomaly or what the abnormality may be, if they allow their child to live to its fullest, then they're never left with regrets. But I've never met a parent who chose to end the life of their child on the recommendation of a physician and didn't regret it after the fact because they then had a hand in their child's demise versus knowing that every single moment that that child was alive it was loved, and all it knew was love. With Dr. Monique Ruberu today on the Drew Mariani Show, we're talking about this uh, major investigation that's just been completed by the New York Times, warning of these are prenatal tests, prenatal blood tests that warn of rare disorders that are usually wrong, that are usually wrong, and they cite uh, a young mom who is in her very early 30s, she's 32, and she got the call from the doctor after having this very blood test, Dr. Monique, and said there's something wrong because the fetus is missing a chromosome. She had another test, and it just didn't meet the smell test to her. And she said, no, 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 we're we're going ahead with this. And now she's got a six-month-old who is perfectly fine. Yeah. There are so many children who have that story. You know, the doctor said that everything would be wrong. I mean, we have so many examples of people, even when the testing shows that 
there's got to be something wrong with this pregnancy. But these children, if they're given the chance, sometimes do survive and thrive and do amazing, beautiful, wonderful things mm-hmm. with their lives. So it's everybody has to remember that doctors are not God and that we're just human beings who have studied and learned a certain you know, quantity of facts, but we can also make mistakes. And, you know, there is, there's no substitution for the beauty and the importance of that one little life. And we need to do everything we can to fight for it and to protect it and to allow it to be loved. Earlier, we were talking about the increase in artificial intelligence, and we were talking about a computer in China that can actually prosecute people. It's 97% right, but what happens in that 3% when it's wrong? And, you know, whether or not that ever comes here to the United States and the, you know, the ethical nature of that as well. And as we talk about most prenatal genetic tests being wrong, uh, are we also looking at a monetary aspect of this? Because this is Silicon Valley seeing the money that's in these blood tests. Do we follow the money here as part of the problem? Absolutely. So much of medicine, allopathic medicine, is about the money. You know, I mean, you look at so many of the things that are treated as far as, you know, cholesterol, diabetes, all of these different things. For many people, if their physician had the time and the energy and the patients were willing to modify their diet, you know, do the exercise, all of these things, the medication likely wouldn't be as necessary. Um, for things like um, reflux, especially, you know, that that is something drug companies and medical companies are always looking for what is it that we can sell widespread. So any sort of testing, you know, whether it be genetic testing for cancer, genetic testing for fetal anomalies, you know, anything that... um, you can make more money off of because you're selling it to a large population of people. People are going to want to push that in the industry. So you do have to be a bit wary about that. Not saying that, you know, people don't benefit from medicines as well and people don't benefit from certain types of testing, but you're correct in that so much of medicine is pushed forth because of the monetary aspect of it. Dr. Monique, uh, empower our relevant radio family listening as we talk about these blood tests being incorrect about 85% of the time. Empower the expectant mom who is listening right now or a grandparent whose child is about to expect a child. Uh, what are the questions they should ask their OBGYN as they prepare for blood tests? I mean, I believe the most important thing is not as much what you're asking your physician, but what are you using this information for? So if you're planning on going in there and no matter what the outcome is with your child, you are going to go forward with this pregnancy, then you know that no matter what this test says, whether it's positive, whether it's negative, you're still moving forward. And then it's just a matter of, okay, you guys think that my child has Down syndrome or trisomy 18 or whatever else. What is it that I can do, which is non-invasive, which wouldn't harm the child in any possible way, to find out more about these things? And, you know, feel 
feel like you have the ability to have that sort of conversation with your providers. And if they're not willing to have the conversation, make sure that you're looking into the community and see who else is dealing with these things and try and find information that way. Do any of these invasive tests, Dr. Monica, include the small risk of miscarriage? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when you're talking about amniocentesis tests where they're putting a needle into the mother's womb in order to get um, a sample, then there's always a possibility of harm to the baby. And it's a small possibility, but it's still a possibility. So why take that chance? Right. And the FDA doesn't regulate this test. That's the other part of this equation that came out in the New York Times investigation is the this is a widely used test that we now know is wrong 85% of the time and perhaps in some cases aborting fetuses. And in addition to it being wrong, the FDA doesn't regulate the test either. Correct. Yep. Dr. Monique Ruberu is with us today. She's an OBGYN in Meadowbrook, Pennsylvania, and we're talking about this new this new investigation that has come out from the New York Times, and it's a blood test, and it's a blood test that you may have taken at some point in time, and it's a blood test to determine whether or not the fetus has any abnormalities, and as it turns out, this blood test is 85% wrong, 85% wrong. Think about those odds, but nonetheless, that's not stopping, sadly, sadly, from uh, fetuses being aborted. 888-914-9149. Dr. Monica is going to Stay with us for a few more minutes, ready to answer your questions. And perhaps you have taken this test and perhaps you have gotten a false positive as well. And your child is alive and well. We'd like to hear that story on the Drew Mariani Show. 888 our number. As we continue with Dr. Monique Rubaru here on the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Facts and faith over fear. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. John Harper for Drew this afternoon, and we're talking about a blood test that perhaps if you've had a child, you've taken this blood test. It's a technology called non-invasive Prenatal testing, NIPT, it works very well for most common disorders. However, an investigation by the New York Times found that this is wrong. This blood test is wrong. False results 85% of the time. So we think about how many children were aborted based on this incorrect information. We're talking about that and also sharing your calls at 888-914-9149 with Dr. Monique Rubaru, who is an OBGYN in Meadowbrook, Pennsylvania, and trained in APRO technology and a method developed by Dr. Tom Hilgers at Creighton University. As we look at this, uh, the these screenings, um, you know, that are wrong and not approved by the FDA, and of course we've talked about following the money as well, uh, we, are all, we also have to look at, uh, you know, we also have to look at the, um, the conditions in which they were administered, don't we? That's true, too. Um, I... I haven't run this this test personally in my office for quite some time because I do GYN at this point. Mm-hmm. When I was doing the test, though, it has to be done at a certain time of the of the pregnancy. And the issue with the timing of the pregnancy is oftentimes women are um, 
unaware of exactly when they ovulated. They're unaware of exactly what the first day of their last menstrual period is. They might be having very irregular cycles, so they don't know exactly when they conceived a pregnancy, and they might not be getting an early ultrasound for prenatal care to determine exactly how far along they are. So that also kind of throws in another layer of unknown as to whether the test is even being interpreted in the correct way based on the gestational age of the child. So it makes a bit of a difference as well. Mm-hmm. With uh, Dr. Monique Rubaru, Diane is joining our conversation in Chicago at 888 with an interesting perspective, Dr. Monique, because, Diana, you're a scientist and you develop blood tests. Welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. Hi, Diana. Hi there. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, I, I guess I come at, with wearing two different hats uh, listening to this conversation. The one, as a scientist, I do develop these cell-free DNA-based blood tests, uh, working specifically with cancer and Alzheimer's disease. And I do want to iterate that, yeah, it's very important to look at what they call the sensitivity and specificity of each test to know, you know, what are the rate of false positives and false negatives for each test, as well as um, understanding that whether the test is FDA-cleared or if it's an in vitro diagnostic test. So uh, I think those are important things for an informed patient to come in with. And I also come with uh, wearing a second hat, which is I'm an expected mother, and I've used the NIPT test myself. And I agree with the doctor that it's also important for the woman to come in with a very clear understanding that, you know, of what the the results would be used for. And if one's coming in with a pro-life mindset, then it's a matter of just using the results to understand a little bit more about what the risks are with the with the baby and to be prepared for situations where uh, the parents might need to be prepared, you know, for uh, disability or such, such things. I also want to mention that it's important to call out the specific brand names that were mentioned in the New York Times article because not all NIPT tests are that uh, poorly uh, poor with their um, with their results, and so I just wanted to point out those three things. So thank you for this conversation today. And the company that's mentioned in that New York Times investigation, Diana and Dr. Monique, is Natera, which says that their revenues are forecast last year. They're still waiting for revenues: six hundred fifteen million dollars. Six hundred fifteen million dollars from doing these tests, many of which many of which are negative many of which are negative, Uh, from an insurance standpoint, with the information that the New York Times investigation has uncovered, Dr. Monique, would insurance companies not pick up this test? It's really hard to say, honestly. Insurance companies are a beast of their own, and we never, as physicians, we never know what they will cover and what they won't cover, and oftentimes it doesn't make sense. So patients know that. (laughs) Dave's joining us in Dallas, Texas with Dr. Monique Ruperu. Dave, good afternoon. Welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. Hi, Drew. Oh, well, you're not Drew, but anyway. Yeah, um, this topic very much interests me. My wife and I had the experience with a false positive or possible Down syndrome with one of our babies. And uh, the test came back and suggested she have an amniocentesis. She refused, saying it puts the child in danger. Well, don't you want to know? Okay, she said, "Show me the test." Uh, okay, but you won't be able to understand them. 
Well, it turns out my wife is a major salesperson for Abbott Labs, and that specific test. Medical people, how to and how to read it. Oh, Dave, you're going in and out here, and I'm sorry. You know, maybe we can get into uh, you know a better connection at some point in time. But uh, you know, we we get we got that point there. And of course, as you know, we had talked about is is following the money, Dr. Monique. Let me ask from a professional standpoint as well. Um, in your conversations in professional groups, as you take a look at this information that has been uncovered from the New York Times investigation, uh, you know, what kind of recommendations about what these tests need to be will be discussed among professional organizations? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good question to have. Oftentimes the response to this might not be as quick as we'd like, but obviously the people who are kind of making the recommendations overall for the OBGYN offices, like the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, should really start to look closely at you know, what are the companies that have better specificity and better results on their tests? And how is it that we can try and force these companies to look for ways to improve their tests and then be very clear as to um, what they're providing? By the way, this company, Natera, has performed more than 2 million screenings for Down syndrome, and this blood test is normally used to screen for Down syndrome, among other things, and it's a company that went public back in 2015. Its value today is $8.8 billion. That's with a B, $8.8 billion. Rochelle joining us in Claremont, California. Rochelle, welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. You're on with Dr. Monique. Hi, thank you so much. First, I want to say God bless to your ministry and... uh, Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Monique, for being courageous. Um, I just wanted to share my experience. Uh, I have two kids. My first son has uh, special needs, cerebral palsy. And uh, when I was pregnant, my second, uh, I had so much pressure from the doctors uh, to do amniocentesis and uh, just pressure for if you have another special needs child, they need to be aborted. And uh, if it wasn't for uh, Catholic radio, I wouldn't be strong and I wouldn't be informed because the doctors really don't give you any information. So it's uh, it's really sad uh, that they pressure you to, you know, um, to do uh, basically, even though they're fully informed and they know that uh, my son's injury was birth injury, they still pressure you into, um, you know, the wrong, uh, a non-pro-life view and uh, an aborting a kid uh, with special needs, even though that's absolutely not needed. Um, so I had to really stand up and I had to really tell the doctor it would be a slap in the face of my son if I decided to abort another special, if I decided to abort a special needs child, um, regardless. And um, my second wasn't a special needs, but uh, I had to be strong. Rochelle, what was the doctor's reaction when you stood up and said no? Um, they they just thought I was, I was nuts, but um, because they met my son and they can see how how much it takes, but um, I was, uh, and I had to stand up to a lot of people, friends, a lot of people just saying, you know, how can you guys, you know, say you'll support special needs and then say, let's, let's kill these babies if we find out ahead of time. So um, I think it, it was hard. And what did they say after the birth of your second son, who was very healthy, after they my, pressured my daughter. you? 
Yeah, my, your daughter. Uh, my daughter. Okay, your daughter. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what was their reaction? And you're a tremendous evangelist no. for life, by the way. I don't know if anyone um, has told you that, uh, but uh, you know, God bless you yes, for sharing your have, journey with us. I think I have that calling. I just need to find the time. <laughs> well, you, <laughs> you got to um, call in more to relevant radio. There you go. That's that's the first but, step um, in that journey. But, but yes, but um, yeah, just they've been saying anything. You know, people they don't say anything. They don't. They won't. Uh, I'm I'm a strong person, so they. Also, I think my personality, yeah. I'm strong. So they didn't say anything, but I think it spoke, you know, it's, sure. and my, we still speak, you know, actions and our, our lifestyle speaks for itself. You got a magnetic, magnetic personality. What is your daughter's name? Because we want to say some special prayers for her and your son as well. Yes, my son is Ryan and my daughter is Anna Marie. Ryan and Anna Marie, what beautiful names. Rochelle, thanks for adding so much to the program. Please call back more often with Dr. Monique Rubru. We've got Dave back on the phone from Dallas, Texas, and he was talking about his wife, who is a saleswoman, and uh, for those very these very tests that we're talking about, and then she was expecting as well. Dave, I think we have a better connection, and we wanted to get you back on the air with Dr. Monique. Go ahead, please. Okay. Uh, also possible my wife is listening, because she does all the time. Anyway, she told them that the, there was nothing wrong with the test because she taught people how to administer them and how to read them. There was nothing wrong with their test except her age. And it was obviously they were kind of hinting at uh, aborting the baby, which we would never do. Well, because of my wife's faithfulness, my, our son ended up being an absolute genius, graduated from Cal Berkeley in, in mechanical engineering, in three years with straight A's, and he's in a very high-level technical field now. So uh, her faithfulness was rewarded. God bless him. What's his name, Dave? Um, Patrick. Patrick. It's a good name. Dave, thanks for for sharing that story. Thanks, and God bless God's blessings to you and your family. Uh, that's great, People and I'm glad to, to be aware of it. Absolutely. I'm glad we got your voice on Relevant Radio. Thanks so much to add to the conversation. In the couple of minutes we have remaining, Dr. Monique, how do we, and you've talked about how very often, and it's an easy trap to fall into where we treat doctors as gods. How, how, do, we, how do we say no? Just how do like we that. say, I don't know what you mean? How do we say, I'm not comfortable with that, I'm going to somebody else? Yeah, we have to be comfortable to say exactly those things. And I think a lot of times we're afraid of hurting people's feelings, especially if they're a physician. But you have to realize that they are not the only physician in the neighborhood or in the town or in the city or in the state. There are multiple, multiple, multiple physicians that are available to you. And so if your physician is trying to pressure you into doing something which goes against your faith or goes against your personal beliefs or you just have an inkling that there's something wrong there, always feel free to get a second opinion. You don't Mm -hmm. have to just go with that one particular doctor. And I think so often we hear this, not just when it comes to pregnancy, but when it comes to every single medical issue, patients are like, well, you know, I told my doctor that I had all these symptoms and then they did my tests and they said that everything looked normal and nothing is wrong and it's all in my head and I just don't feel right, but my doctor's not willing to do anything about it. 
Well, then find someone else. Find somebody else. Dr. Monique, we're out of time, but thanks for your expertise and empowering so many relevant radio listeners with this important information. Dr. Monique Rubaru and OBGYN in Meadowbrook, Pennsylvania. Thanks and God bless. Thank you. God bless you. How about NASA studying the religious reaction to the possibility of aliens? We're not making that up. We'll look at that next on the Drew Mariani Show here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.